Welcome to the Wall Street Journal for Tuesday, July 25th, 2017, from Audible. Today you'll hear these five stories. How Democrats lost voters to Trump and might win them back. Lawyers hope to do to opioid makers what they did to big tobacco. How Jordan Spieth saved the open by mastering an obscure golf rule. In cyber warfare, everyone is a combatant. And it's a vasectomy party. Snips, chips, and dips with your closest friends. From the politics section of the Wall Street Journal, How Democrats Lost Voters to Trump and Might Win Them Back, by Gerald F. Seib. This is a column about how Donald Trump won the White House. Well, more precisely, it's a column about how Hillary Clinton lost the White House. That's particularly relevant right now because Democrats are about to release a new roadmap showing how to recover from that 2016 loss. Democratic leaders are calling their new agenda a better deal, and it's heavy on populist economics. A higher minimum wage, more working-class access to government health programs, and expanded broadband for rural areas. A deeper look back at the 2016 outcome suggests that approach is at least on the right track. The key for Democrats isn't simply to turn out more young liberal voters or to win over Republicans who don't like President Trump. Rather, Democrats need to win back working-class voters who defected to Mr. Trump. Doing that requires crafting a more effective economic message and convincing skeptical voters that Democrats aren't locked into a Washington status quo they deeply distrust. The Third Way, a centrist Democratic think tank, finds in a new report that about 6 million people who voted for Barack Obama in 2012 abandoned the Democrats to vote for Mr. Trump in 2016. That's twice as many as votes who went for Republican Mitt Romney in 2012 and then flipped to Mrs. Clinton four years later. The voters who flipped from Mr. Obama to Mr. Trump are key. But why did they leave? Some answers are found in a Wall Street Journal NBC News survey released earlier this month that looked at a broad cross-section of counties Mr. Trump carried last year. There's no escaping that people in Trump country simply didn't like Mrs. Clinton. In some places, she was practically toxic. Across all Trump counties, just 27% hold a positive view of her. Among independent voters in those counties, only 16% view her positively. But much of Trump country is so deep red that it is beyond Democrats' reach. It's more instructive to look instead at a subset of Trump counties, those that Mr. Obama carried in 2012, but that went for Mr. Trump in 2016. In these flip counties, Mrs. Clinton also is personally unpopular. Just 30% view her favorably, while 50% have an unfavorable view. Interestingly, though, Senator Bernie Sanders, who challenged Mrs. Clinton from the left with an anti-establishment populist message, is far more popular there. In the flip counties, 44% have a positive view of Mr. Sanders, while just 29% have a negative view. In other words, in counties that moved from Democrats to Mr. Trump, feelings toward Mrs. Clinton are a net 20 percentage points negative, while they are a net 15 points positive for Mr. Sanders. That suggests Mrs. Clinton, the ultimate representative of the party establishment, was a particularly ill-suited candidate for 2016. It further suggests that a populist economic message of the kind Mr. Sanders brought to the table has resonance in the areas that moved away from the Democrats. That notion is supported by some more specific findings in the journal NBC survey. In the flip counties, more than half said they think the political and economic systems of the country are stacked against them. A whopping 71% said they aren't confident their children's generation will have a better life. There is much about Mr. Trump's style that flip county residents don't like, 
but they particularly like the suggestion that he is shaking things up in Washington and that he is twisting corporate arms to keep jobs in the U.S. That may be because they are feeling economic strain. 66% say someone in their household has lost a job in the last five years, and 75% say someone in the household has more than $20,000 in student debt. Yet, there also are signs that many voters in this slice of Trump country have impulses that are more Democratic than Republican. Six in ten say government should be doing more to solve problems, while just 37% say the government is doing too many things. They are slightly more inclined to want Democrats to control Congress than Republicans, and they have positive views overall of Mr. Obama. They don't like Republicans' health care plans. Mr. Trump won these places with his America First economic and cultural messages, but Mrs. Clinton just as surely lost them because she was seen as part of the political establishment in a year of surging anti-establishment sentiment, which Mr. Sanders tapped into quite effectively from within her own party. These numbers suggest Democrats should have a good shot at retrieving this slice of the Trump coalition. They also suggest something else. Don't be surprised if Republicans try to hold on to those voters in next year's midterm elections by portraying Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi as a replica of Mrs. Clinton, an out-of-touch embodiment of a hated political establishment. From the U.S. section of the Wall Street Journal, Lawyers Hope to Do to Opioid Makers What They Did to Big Tobacco by Gene Whalen. The legal front widening against makers of opioid painkillers has something in common with landmark tobacco litigation of the 1990s. Attorney Mike Moore. As Mississippi's Attorney General in 1994, Mr. Moore filed the first state lawsuit against tobacco companies, saying they harmed public health systems by misrepresenting smokers' dangers. He helped marshal the subsequent spate of state litigation and then the talks that led to a $246 billion settlement.